0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Game Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Rudolf Inders, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Christopher Luckmann, the editor of a New Game Studies anthology Control Machines, Computer Games, and Theory of Dispositives. In light of its immense popularity, a critical examination of the medium of the video game is due. This particular anthology works on a theory of the dispositive of the video game and is thus dedicated to the connections between knowledge and power. The medium of the video game is looked at in its complicity with neoliberalism and the control society, as well as in its media, technological conditionality and its qualities of self-reflection and self-criticism. Before we jump right in though, I want to let you know that if you like our show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share this episode with your friends and on social media. And now, christopher welcome to the show hi thanks for having me i wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself of course including your favorite game and the one or even the ones you're playing right now um so telling
2: telling you a bit about myself um i'm a phd candidate at the Freie Universität in berlin um and I'm, um, of course, working on uh, video games, but my PhD dissertation is more about uh, the aesthetics or the popular aesthetics, as I w- would like to call them, of video games. And the games that I'm playing right now actually are mostly non-digital. In fact, um, I developed quite a addiction to chess <laughs> the last couple of months, uh, and yeah. I actually started playing chess when, when I was COVID. So uh, i like to say that I have this second virus in me now. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm skateboarding a lot, uh, which is also, I, I conceive of as, as play or as a game.
1: Yeah, well, these are actually the good times for chess, because first off, they had this Netflix hit show um with chess as chess is a central motive and then right now as as i have been noticed upon by my timeline on social media there's this huge discussion about this 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 one guy who is cheating a lot on professional yeah, yeah professional it's ch- it's, chess circus yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really big shit show,
2: to, to be honest uh, it's a really big scandal um but from different sides it's, it's actually really interesting to follow yeah, yeah.
1: So, uh, Christopher, please tell me, how did you come to write Control Machines, Computer Games, and the Theory of Dispositives? Because I have learned that the origins go back to a certain workshop in 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, that's
2: correct. Um, So how I came to to edit this volume is actually like a really, maybe... Uh, not long, sorry, but uh, it goes pretty far back, uh, in fact, um, even earlier to 2019, actually, like um, because th- there were student initiatives and uh, grants for student projects in my university where I did my master's degree. Uh, which was the University of Münster. Um, Mm -hmm. Not to be confused with the American Münster, which is (laughs) famous for rugby and stuff, uh, but uh, Münster in West Germany, basically. And uh, I basically applied for this grant, uh, for the student grant, and uh, I was uh, thankfully awarded um, quite a sum. And that allowed me to basically organize this, first off, this Basically, kickoff workshop um, where we discussed a lot about the theory of dispositives, and uh, then in, in the aftermath of that, um, we could all collaborate, and and uh, I could edit this volume with a lot of authors together. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I have this uh, volume right here, and it was a very intriguing and exciting read, actually, very thought provoking. Well. All in all, readers will find eight different authors and their fruitful as well as rich chapters in your book. Could you tell us a bit about your selection process as uh, the aforementioned editor of this volume?
2: Yeah, that story really goes back to the workshop as well, actually, because um, when I applied for this for the student grant um, during my master's program, I already had to... Um, had to give the committee sort of a list of of speakers that I wanted to invite. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so basically I invited a lot of people that have, that had already worked on, um, the theory of to the positives. Um, of course, vis-a-vis the computer game or the video game. Um, and some scholars which are basically a bit like thematically adjacent to it or that I, that I hoped had interesting thoughts on the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had this workshop and, like, uh, I think in most projects, uh, some authors decide to re- really contribute to the, to the project, others uh, had, like, stress, distress of time and uh, couldn't make it, uh, so... Um, I if, if filled up the, the remaining slots with people that I kind of knew from other publications or that I, that I knew from basically doing research on the topic. And then uh, after a lot of years, <laughs> they finally emerged as this list of authors uh, that you can find now. Um, and I think they are all mostly German. The only, only author that's not German is um, actually two uh, authors that are not German. Um, so Paolo, Paolo Pettuccini. He mm-hmm. um, was kind enough to give us his, his really inspiring uh, uh, article called uh, Computer Games and the Spirit of Capitalism, which I could translate and which was just a pleasure to, to translate because it's such a strong and powerful text. Mm-hmm. And Oliotapi Lino um, co-authored uh, the text t- together with Sebastian Mülling that they also uh, first published in English and uh, then also translated uh, f- for this particular volume into German. Yeah, but all other authors are from the German uh, game studies scene, basically.
1: Mm. Was it uh, was it challenging to to get this very uh, publishing house on board? Then how did you proceed there? A
2: publishing House was actually um, sort of a no-brainer because we um, already collaborated with Rolf Noah already, oh, um, mm-hmm. and he has this uh, series called Medienwelten
1: yeah.
2: uh, at the Lit Verlag, so uh, yeah, he uh, I basically just uh, just asked him and he thought it was a good idea um, because um, what they're doing in the series overlaps quite uh,
1: evidently with, with this topic. Yeah. Well, in general, this series can be recommended um, for almost everyone who is really interested in game studies or, or game research. There are a series of really great and insightful books. Yeah. Yeah, of course, um, <laughs> for sure. You kick off the volume with your very own chapter, uh, then called "Control Machines: An Introduction." Could you please guide us through your thoughts here? Um. If, uh... Yeah, of course. Um, it's
2: just a little. Um, I kind of w- wanted to basically draw an overarching um picture, an overarching image around the topic. So uh, right. this might take a while, and I hope. <laughs>
1: It won't be too confusing um, our listeners are used to it i think <laughs> i hope <laughs> okay.
2: um, but let me first uh, t- tell you about the the very term dispositive or dispositif, as, as they say in french uh, because um, the the concept is fairly established in german media studies um, and we call it um, uh whereas in english media studies uh, the concept as such doesn't exist uh, as popularized or, like, as as popularly in as in, in Germany. Mm-hmm. But, of course, they still have, uh, like, an understanding of what it means because uh, the concept, in fact, goes back to the writings of Michel Foucault mm-hmm. and um, his analysis of knowledge and power, basically, that he uh, pursued in several volumes. So um, what... German media studies then did was basically adapt uh, a lot of his methodologies and a lot of his, like, basically ideas uh, to make their own thing out of it. And uh, what is maybe most uh, the most concise definition of a dispositif or a dispositif <laughs> mm. <laughs> because like in, in english texts they always do not uh, translate it they always put the french word in, in there so it's mm. <laughs> bit so hard to say um it sounds very educated then
1: yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> it sounds a bit tacky tacky or something The dispositif. <laughs> um Okay, but, but basically, the the s- most simple definition of a dispositif is basically that it's something like an infrastructure for discourse. Um, so not a single discourse, uh, maybe not even a single discourse formation, but uh, several dis- discourse discourses or formations of discourses uh, embedded into um, what Foucault called in his later years a strategy or something. Uh, so. Um, If you wanted to, like, say it in, like, very simple terms, we could just say, like, several discourses that work on a specific, uh, with a specific goal in mind or uh, that go into one direction. And uh, um, what... German media studies then did, uh, an author like Klaus Piers, for example, or Rolf Nohr also, was that they um, took this object of a, a video game or computer games in general um, as as they emerged in the mid-20th century. And they tried to question or investigate this question of what kind of discourses made it possible that something like the video game became plausible in this and this generation of, of scholarship and mm-hmm. also this generation of media technology. And perhaps uh, Klaus Pierre's uh, book, um, Computerspielwerten, uh, is also translated, I think, in Computer Game Worlds, I think. Um, yeah. It was translated in 2017, and I would really recommend everyone to, to read it. Um,
1: yeah, I think, it's the, I think it's even the, the together with Britta Law I think these are the first two. Yeah, German yeah, yeah. game studies yeah, uh, yeah. The <laughs> nations in Germany yeah, right
2: yeah yeah basically uh, his his scholarship and of course Britta, Britta scholarship are two of the foundational um, works or the, the corpus of texts for German media uh, German game studies uh, that basically kicked off our discipline hmm. um, but yeah some, sometimes I feel I'm a bit saddened that uh, you know international game studies people don't really know about about uh their books or their, their texts because i they think they're really really important to know um, um but okay what what he actually wrote about was um not a history of video games as a stylistic history or an aesthetic history but um what he calls an epistemic history and uh, he w- doesn't treat like video games as games as such uh actually, but basically it's this history of how uh, different kinds of discourses emerged uh, um, or how, how the video game emerged um, in a field of different kinds of discourses. Um, mm-hmm. Something like experimental psychology, for example, where um, um, machines were set up to be stimulus and response mechanisms, which uh, really goes, goes on to show, gives us a new angle on, on action games, for example. Or um, the machines of human factors, where basically uh, workers stand in line to to produce a certain good, and also have this uh, have this uh, technology of stimulus response mechanisms basically embedded within the technology, and of course. Um, what he then did, he he, he basically segregated the video game into three parts: so the action game, um, the strategy game, and uh, the the adventure game. And um, he said the action game is about reaction, and about and in this kind of uh, through technologies of reaction, we can really see uh, the prehistory of the action game um, and especially in the discourse of experimental uh, psychology and human factors. Yeah, And the, the strategy game is about configuration, he said. And then he said, okay, there's a, there's a lot of discourse uh, in inform, information technology and uh, games like uh, um, SimCity, for example, which was... During the time, a project of the MIT, uh, or that emerged basically from projects of the MIT that uh, wanted to do um, urban planning and stuff. Right. Um, yeah. Right. So this, the history of, of games uh, shows us that games are do not necessarily come out of games, uh, but uh, all different kinds of sorts of ob- of objects. And then mm-hmm. there's the adventure game and he says that in, the adventure game is about decide decisions and deciding um, and um, there I think the the chapter on, on adventure games is really creative in fact because he says um, there it's all about the the plan and the flowchart basically because in the flowchart that uh, engineers used to to uh, to do plans of, of the machines or the plans of uh, binary, binary um, decisions, uh, we can basically already see um, the structure of an adventure game and uh, early adventure games like Zork. And uh, and yeah, and Zork, for example, they really embed or still use this, this flowchart to, um, I guess, as a map through, mm-hmm. through the territory. Yeah. Okay, and that's basically, um, um, yeah, that's basically using the dis- dispositive as a method for media history, which I found really, really um, enriching. Um, okay, and what I did in the chapter now is basically say that um, the dispositive as as Klaus Piers and Rolf noir and these people use it, is something um, different than the dispositif that it it exists in other kind of terminology like uh, the apparatus and so on. I think it will be too confusing to go into much detail here, but uh, what I basically wanted to provide the reader with was basically an an introduction and a readable introduction into um, what it means to do research with the dispositifs.
1: Yeah. And for any deepening of that very chapter, people just go and get the book. (laughs) <laughs> because it's a really great one actually so don't hesitate escalate um so aside from that what can what can our listeners and and your readers expect from the book then how would you describe the the learnings and what are the main findings brought forward by your esteemed authors
2: um well that's something that i would say uh really reveals to you or reveals to the reader more as they go through each chapter, or um, maybe even um, if they read the first four chapters or something, because um, we can really see how the dispositif of the computer game really ties in a lot of different kind of discourses which the different authors then kind of outline. And one finding that was really essential for me, or for I think, is for German media studies at large, is that this dispositif, in our view, um, really is not as much as a method for interpretation, like for hermeneutics or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Rolf really, really grasps this this point uh, and makes it really strong. Um, yeah, but but as I said, it's it's really like uh, a way to do media history in a, in a way um, that couples uh, knowledge and power. And, uh
0: this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: Um, Yeah, so his his article in in the book is like really excellent in in this particular topic, which is not to say, of course, that uh, aesthetic reflections cannot be set on top of this, basically, uh, of of these findings, uh, which uh, I wanted to basically... Transport with inclusion of um, Paolo Pedicini's uh, programmatic aesthetic, basically that um, I already mentioned. It's called uh, video games in the spirit of capitalism.
1: Yeah. So I was I was talking I was talking to Stefan Hölken recently. And, and I was asking him a bit of a trick question. I was telling him that they're are, there are talking about, because he was talking about three different um, experimental, um, let's say, um, studies with his students. Yeah. And I told him that it's always difficult to, to name your favorite child. If you have, especially if you have three of them, but yeah. of course I have to ask you—not not your favorite child—but um, let's say what's the, the most when you first when you first read the first um, drafts of the incoming articles or book chapters, which one did uh, was the most surprising one?
2: The most surprising? Well, <laughs> okay. Um, um maybe maybe not surprising in the sense of uh that i didn't expect it maybe mm-hmm. more surprising in the sense that i really that i really learned a lot from it or that i really thought um yeah. he, somebody um brought things like in know re- clear and concise argumentation. and i would have to give that to Rolf no again because i i think he's the most like he he, he's also part of this older generation of game studies uh, scholars in Germany. Um, uh, not saying that he's he's old in any way. He's <laughs> I was just telling person. you,
1: I feel old right now. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but he's just like a person that you can really learn a lot from, and uh, he has a lot of like experience already uh, with uh, also writing writing books about these topics. So uh, yeah, I would have to give it to. To uh, the experienced ones, but you know? mm. to the most experienced <laughs> ones, let's that, say it like that.
1: Yeah. Well, in hindsight, Christopher, what would you say yeah. are the biggest, let's call them for now, black holes you would love to tackle in a possible follow up volume? Yeah, the black holes. Um,
2: I, I'm kind of hinting towards these black holes already in my introduction um, because uh, the dispositif, what surely does not do or does not uh, do as as I see it uh, is to take into account the uh, media ecological uh, side of things. So we have one article by Sonja Fitzek which kind of tries to do it um, uh, but uh, Then we kind of have to ask this critical question, in fact, if uh, this uh, or what what she's writing is still basically in the method of dispositif, actually. Um, But, yeah, it's a really big point that uh, maybe the dispositif doesn't uh, uh, supply us with uh, ecological insights and media ecological insights.
1: Yeah. Mm Please, Christopher, tell us, what are you working on uh, on right now? What I'm working on right now? um, My dissertation, of course, (laughs)
2: Mm. (laughs) which is about the popular aesthetics of video games. And uh, I am now taking a completely different angle than I did during my master's program, actually, because during my master's, I was all about these critical theories, right? I was all about finding out ideology and investigating how... um, Mm. Popular objects are basically complicit or uh, maybe subversive in, in this in this way mm-hmm. um, but what i' what I'm doing right now is basically is how uh popular objects can be defined as something like everyday things and uh, video games could be conceptualized as uh, you know a form of encounter with everyday things and that's, that's why I like skateboarding so much at the moment because um Kind of learning a lot just through skateboarding about, uh, you know, th- how how play works and how um, how my own body basically works in, a, in an expressive way, but also in a very mechanical way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. This is, has this also uh, also something to do with the exploration of uh, of, of public spaces then. But yeah, somewhat.
2: Yeah, of course. Um, I'm not um, mm-hmm. really tackling that question so much, actually, because what I kind of want to do still is do aesthetic theory and and uh, media theory. Mm-hmm. So the questions I'm kind of tackling are, well, what is the sensory exploration of video games, of, of video game play? Or what is uh, an, aesthetic, uh, an aesthetic object uh, if the things we are dealing with are b- basically very action-oriented, um, of course. And how, how do we couple um, perception to action and, and video game perception? So, um, yeah, I'm kind of... Um, yeah, my, my dissertation is more dedicated towards these, I guess, more um, theory, uh, like aesthetic theory-centric um, of uh, kind of questions. But um, I guess... When I I hope when I when I finish the dissertation I will have some things to say about public spaces as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> I see. So talking about uh, games, of course, one of our last questions is always, "What will you be playing next?" So because um, gamers and game studies scholars or researchers alike tend to have this thing called pile of shame I think it's <laughs> it's fair it's fair a fair. it's an, a tremendous expression but <laughs> it's a term but um yeah let's get let's get uh, down to it so what will you be playing next
2: oh my pile of shame is enormous i can't even yeah. express how I'm enormous it is because i am the kind of gamer that likes to stick to one game uh, for years and uh, maybe plays other other titles occasionally um but, but for example, during my teenage years, I only played Dota 2 mm-hmm. uh, or even Dota 1 when when it was around. Um, but that basically made me... That, that took up my time. And uh, that's also the reason why uh, sometimes I... Um, especially like when it comes to shooters or something, I, I don't have a good, ed- <laughs> good education of shooters. Uh, yeah. But yeah, my pile of shame is enormous and I think I need to still play Elden Ring and of course uh, and uh, some Nintendo games even. I'm actually a like really big Nintendo fan but uh, new Kirby just came out uh I really have to play that. Um yeah, but other other gamers would uh really you know shame you shame for a lot of things I didn't play or have <laughs> not but yeah, let's just leave it at that. I'm re- I really love uh, competitive uh esports titles actually. So so they, they take up so much of your time. It's it's hard mm. to play anything else.
1: Yeah. But is there um, I have I'm, I have recently heard about the the esports team from from University of Bayreuth. Is there something? <laughs> yeah. uh, is there something? there's there a ta- team playing at, at Münster right now?
2: Uh, I'm am not in Münster anymore, uh, but I oh, can tell you for hmm. Freie Universität Berlin, where I'm, uh, I'm doing my PhD. Yeah, um, sorry, right, they have yeah. a League of Legends team. Yeah, they have a League of Legends team, of, but of course, um, as a Dota Two player, um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this is uh, wash this war going on between these two mobs. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to integrate into into the scene. I'd, I'd have to learn or relearn uh, this game first. So, uh, well,
1: good yeah. luck then. <laughs> Christopher, I want to thank you for being on the show today and talking about your book. I really enjoyed it. So uh, take care and goodbye. Thanks for having me. So dear listeners, I hope you liked this episode If you are an author and or an editor in the field of game studies or game research yourself and want to talk about your latest publication, please do not hesitate to contact me. To get in touch, please send me a message on social media. You will find me under Rudolf Indust on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. You can also shoot an email to rudolf.indust at googlemail.com. Have a good one and goodbye.